Welcome to the teaching ministry of Judah Oloromai, compelling consecration, provoking repentance, and inspiring worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of his power. Get ready to experience the transforming power of his word. Matthew chapter 15. Should be on the screen, please. Matthew 15. If you can hear me, raise your hands. If you can hear me, raise your hands, please. I want to confirm. Okay. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay, we read from this portion last week, and this is the base of our conversation throughout this month. Drop your volume, Toba. The other microphones, get them switched off. Let's just prioritize this sound alone. I said last week that we are going to be contributing maximizing spiritual service. Began that conversation last week and then today and next week we will continue so this is going to be part 2 and then next week is going to be part 3 all things being equal except there is a change from higher authorities that's what we will stick with I would um, read the text and then remind you of what we learned last week and then overlap it into today's conversation is that clear? Let's start from verse 1. It's not too much of a long reading, so let's start from verse 1 of Matthew 15. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which way of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Um, that's a very interesting tradition. How many of you wash your hands before you eat? Do you do it as a spiritual law or as a moral or as an hygienic law? Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees actually did it as a spiritual law. <laughs> uh, many of the instructions God gave Israel were actually hygienic instructions. However, you must understand the implication of them. If not, you will be doing things that um, you don't even understand. So he answered them and said, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? Jesus was quite a very interesting, shall I say, person. The way he answered questions was not always what you expected. Somebody is asking him a question. He's asking, Why do you also? Maybe you have friends like that. You say, Why didn't you call me? Say, Why didn't you also call me? <laughs> so Jesus was kind of that kind of person. All right, so it distracted or it changed the conversation. Forget about washing hands. Why do you also break the commandments of God? Because the, the issue is that you are comparing traditions of men to commandments of God. One is weightier. We are not saying traditions of men are ultimately bad, but then you cannot put it in the category of commandments of God. So 
He goes on to say, God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curses, father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. The idea is that certain people did not financially honor their parents. They instead, instead took their money to the synagogue and dedicated it to God. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> they took the money that was supposed to be to financially honor their parents and gave it for church program. And Jesus says, that's actually wrong. Because God says, God commanded you to honor your parents. And some of you have not found the balance of this. It's okay to give church stuff, and, uh, and when, well, especially when you be, become financially independent, you must understand that uh, there is a commandment of God towards your parents you must fulfill. And irrespective of how much you give to church, it is not a substitute for that. Is that clear? So when he says this, understand the conversation. People remove the commandments of God and substituted it for something else that was not as important, actually. So, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. So the idea was that the Pharisees said, the money you're supposed to give to your father and your mother, if you give it to us, you're already free from honoring your parents. You have already honored God by honoring us. But that was all is come. Glory to God. So he says in verse 6, very, very important statements, thus have you made the commandment of God of non-effect by your traditions. Ye hypocrites, we explained what hypocrites meant last week, it means actor. Ye actors well the desires prophesy of you, saying, these people draw it nigh, or draw close, the word draw it nigh is draw close, unto me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So the emphasis um, is from verse 8. But okay, let's read on to verse 9 and conclude the reading. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandment of men. Glory to God. So, maximizing spirituals um, part 2. Let us quickly pray. Lord, we thank you and we trust you. We thank you because you are ever faithful to speak and to make things clear. We trust you because we absolutely rely on you. We verbally express our desire for your light and illumination and revelation. And we thank you because you have heard us. All things are clear. All things are clear. All things are clear. In Jesus' name we pray. Alright, I didn't know that after three times I would still have to say it, but let me still say it. I want to encourage you that um, in this year, anything you are saying or doing in church, put a little bit extra on it. Amen? Yeah. If you need me to say it every day, I will keep reminding you. But that's also a, an indictment on your part. Um, you should hear once and do twice. So if you want to hear 1,000 times before you do once, you may need to confirm where your heart is and make adjustments readily. I'll say it again. Anything you want to do this year in church, try and do a little bit more extra. If you are saying amen, let it be clear you are saying amen. If you are saying hallelujah, let it be clear you are saying hallelujah. Glory to God. Alright. Maximizing spirituals. Now, basically what we spoke about last week, we tried to dismantle the structure of religion by exposing it. 
um, religion thrives by ignorance and once light comes, the concept is exposed as a scam. It is a scam because it does not profit. Jesus says, in vain you do worship. So we explain that many things can be done in vain. The word in vain means you are wasting your time, really. People can worship and waste their time. People can come to church and waste their time. People can pray and waste their time. And we explain the major thing about religion is that it is an attempt to do spiritual activities without God or outside God. People can attempt to pray when God is not involved in their lives. They don't love God, they don't honor God, they don't respect God, but they try to pray as if prayer is a formula. It's not going to work. It's in vain. People can preach the Bible. They don't respect the Bible. They don't honor the Bible, but they preach from it uh, because for them it's just a religious show. They want to give an impression to men that they honor God. Meanwhile, they don't honor God. So religion has been exposed as Spiritual activity without God. When God is not involved, no matter how zealous or intense the activity may seem, it is religion. And religion does not profit. Paul called it vain religion. <laughs> Having a form of godliness, denying the power, therein, it seems to be like spirituality, but it's not spirituality. So as we said, that's the starting point to true spirituality. You need to deal with religion. We showed you how you can measure religion. Basically, the difference between, or if there's any difference between your church life and your regular life, that's the amount of religion in your life. You need to deal with that. If in church you're all acting up, holy, sanctimonious, but outside there, your true self, as it were, comes out. It means you have layers upon layers of religion, and you're doing many things that do not count in the books of God. Glory to God. However, one of the other things that you notice from religion is that, aside from the fact that God is not involved, the woman heart is also not involved. That's what we read in Matthew 15. Jesus says, they draw close to me with their mouth, but then their heart is far. And so in the part two of this teaching, which I'm going to explain this morning, I'm going to be focusing on heart Christianity. I'm going to try and teach you how to do Christianity from the heart. Not from the head, not from the mouth, not from your eyes, from the heart. If you can do Christianity from the heart, it will be more productive. The idea of maximizing spirituality is to get the best out of our spiritual life and out of our spiritual activities. And this can only happen if we do Christianity from the heart. God is very particular about the heart. In fact, the first thing God changes when you become a Christian is your heart. He gives you a new heart. He takes away a heart of stone and he puts into you a heart of flesh. The idea of a heart of flesh is that a heart that is receptive to his word, receptive to his commands, a heart that is malleable according to the instructions of the king. God is very particular about the heart. Christianity is a heart faith. It's not head faith. It says whoever believes in his heart. Whoever believes in his heart. You don't believe in your head. You don't believe in your mouth. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth. 
Many people are confessing with their mouth when there is no belief in the heart. A lot of confession said every morning. A lot of I decree, I declare. Meanwhile, there's nothing in your heart. It's just mouth activity. That's why when you check for results, you see very little. We have to get back to the basics so that we can maximize the Christian life. Hallelujah. So, truth is about religion. God is not involved. And then, heart is not involved. I want to show you from scriptures, about three of them, that many people, I want to establish from scriptures, that many people can be involved in several spiritual activities, and yet, it is not counting for much. Let's see James chapter 4 and verse 2 here. James chapter 4 and verse 2. Ye lost, and the word lost here is desire. Everybody say desire. Can you make that a little bit louder? Desire. So when you hear lust, we're not talking about sexual desires. We're just talking about general desire. So ye desire, and you have not. He goes on to say, you kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So God says that if there is no asking, there can be no obtaining. But then the conversation does not stop there. So it goes ahead in verse 3. So explain those who also ask. Ye ask, and yet you receive not. So it is possible to pray and not to receive. It is very possible to stay in prayer, continue in prayer, and yet not receive. That's why I told you last week, let us examine ourselves. If you have been praying and praying and praying over particular matters, you need to sit back and say, wait, is there something I'm getting wrong? Because it's established from scripture that it is possible to ask and not receive. And it gives you the reason. It says, because he asked armies that you may consume it upon your desires. <laughs> this is, I need to teach on the theology of desires because he spoke about desires in verse 2, ends it up again with desires in verse 3, and you probably try to connect the dots. Okay? Nothing wrong with desire. However, desire must be in the framework of the will of God. Glory to God. I mean, I was speaking to somebody and I was asking her, why is it that every time a celebrity marries, people say things like premium tears for some people and all of that. And I was like, I don't understand. And then she was explaining that, well, some ladies actually desire to marry those celebrities and they're they, they actually hoping and waiting for the person to ask them out and all that. If, for me, it was very interesting. Like, what, what kind of thing is that? Do you know the person? Does the person know you? Why do you desire... Or why do you expect the person to ask you out? Are you guys, if, are you friends? Are you, are you in the same geographical location? Does he have your number? Do you chat at night? Why, were you, why are you now crying that he, he, he proposed to somebody that all the while knew he was going to propose? I mean, what, so I, I couldn't understand really. And when I called him for seven years, everybody knew my fiance. There was, there was no secret. I mean, I don't understand why people said she said yes. Like, was I expecting her to say? No, <laughs> for seven years, was it a joke? <laughs> what are you talking about here? <laughs> Back to my teaching, anyway, because you're already distracted. But I'm saying that certain desires do not fit into the framework of the will of God, and so it is not going to come to pass. No matter how strong the desire is, it is not going to come to pass. 
So James says, don't just pray. Ensure that your lust, that is your desire, fits into the desire of God so that you won't have to be doing all the unnecessary things, including stealing, or rather including killing, fighting, and worrying, and eventually not obtaining. Glory to God. So it's expanded the scripture. People can be doing many spiritual things. Nothing wrong with prayer. I will emphasize prayer today in my sermon. But you can be praying, praying. No show. And when that happens, you need to sit back, examine. Don't do vain religion. Don't do it because everybody's doing it. Don't do it because church say we should do it. Do it for productivity. Everybody say productivity. productivity. If it's not productive, drop it. Paul says we should chase the things that they defy. There are many good things, but not all things are defy. There are many good things, but not all things are profitable. If it's not profitable, even if everybody's doing it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste my time. The, the only way you can maximize your life is when you ensure you don't waste your time. Come on. No matter how long you live, life is too short. Can't imagine spending six hours praying, praying, and everything is in vain. Oh, what? Come on. So, I, I need you to get to this point where you say, anything I do that is spiritual must count. And it must count maximally. Glory to God. Alright, Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. We read something similar in Matthew chapter 15. But let's read the Mark's rendition. It is possible that the word of God will be of no effect. People can hear the word. People can quote the word. People can preach the word and yet it will be of no effect. Jesus says, certain folks make the word of God of no effect. And he tells them why. Because of your traditions. Some of you are stuck in traditions. We preach, we preach, we preach, we preach. Tradition is so much in your soul. The word we preach has no effect. Stuck in your traditions. You just believe this the way things should be. You have no basis for that biblically. You just believe that. Eh, but I just feel that. Listen to me, your opinion does not matter much. You didn't create yourself. You're not the author of life. What makes you overrate your opinion? I just believe that me, eh, my own perspective. Come on. Some of you are even too young to have traditions. How old are you? Or you have borrowed and inherited traditions of your parents and grandparents. Or of your denomination. Some of these traditions are so-called spiritual traditions. Denominational traditions. Many people have nullified the effect of God's word. I mean, have you ever reasoned and imagined how powerful God's word is? Hebrews 4.12 tells us it is quick, that is alive, and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword. We read about mountains keeping like rams at the word of God. We're about all creature being formed and, and, and coming into existence because of the word of God. Yet, despite all of that, it is possible to make it of no effect. Your life can be such that no matter how powerful God's word is, it is of no effect. And of all things that Jesus will mention in this particular verse, he didn't speak about unbelief, he didn't speak about doubt, he spoke about traditions. Get back to my verse, please, in Matthew 27. So you need to check yourself. I've been coming to church 
I've been reading the word of God. I've been doing morning devotion. I've been using a devotional booklet. I've been hearing sermons. I mean, I'm embarrassed at my generation. We have access to so much sermons. You can listen to Oroko in the morning. Aroma in the afternoon. Sermon in the night. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yet there is no effect. And you're wondering what was happening. Traditions. Making of no effect. Everywhere we have liters of summons. Everywhere. Telegram channels. YouTube channels. People are preaching. People are hearing the summons. But when you look, you see, where is the impact? We need to ask ourselves the question. Conferences upon conferences, seminars upon seminars. Where is the impact? Jesus said it's possible to make the word of God of no effect. And that's something you and I must guard against. Glory to God. We've addressed prayers, we've addressed the word, let's address church gatherings. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. Paul here rebuking the Corinthian church says something very, very interesting in verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. In other words, I'm not proud of you. I'm quite embarrassed in fact. I'm appalled, I'm ashamed that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Wow. So it's possible that your, your congregation, your gathering together, your coming together, your assembling together can be for the worse. Wow. Now, the writer of Hebrews says we should not forsake the assembling together of saints. It's supposed to be a productive, profitable activity, but it is possible to come together and it's actually for the worse. Yeah. People are gathered. That's why I'm not impressed by gatherings. 10,000 people attended the meetings. Well, 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 it's possible to gather for worse. It's possible. That people are worse off because they gather. If you don't do it the way God's word prescribes it, if you don't do it the way you're supposed to do it, if you don't participate according to the dictate of scripture, it's possible to gather. Some people have become haters of God since they joined church. They came to church and they saw all the hypocrisy. They saw all the vain religion. They saw all the double standards. And they came to a conclusion, it's all a scam. This God business, Elijah. Their hearts are worse off. They are gathered for worse. Don't assume every gathering is for the better. Don't assume every spiritual gathering is for the better. Don't assume every spiritual gathering will improve the people attending it. Sometimes we gather, but it's for worse. Amen. And because of these issues, we have to ensure that we are really maximizing spirituals and not really wasting our time doing prayer, doing study, doing church. So to progress, I need to reaffirm that spirituality is greatly connected to the heart. Religion is not connected to the heart, but spirituality is greatly connected to the heart. Uh, in fact, um, if you read the scriptures closely, you will notice that the word spirit and the word heart sometimes are used 
you know, as synonyms or interchangeably. Let me show you a few scriptures just to buttress this concept. We have it in Psalm 34 verse 18. And of course Psalm 51 verse 10. But let's see Psalm 34 verse 18. Now, the Lord is near unto them that are of a broken heart and saves such as be of a contrite spirit. If you understand Hebrew poetry, you know that it does not mean heart and spirit are two different things. It's just saying the same thing in a different way. So broken heart and contrite spirit, same thing. So broken heart means contrite spirit. That means spirit here and heart here are actually the same. Is that clear? Let's see again in Psalm 51 and verse 10. This is the Psalm of David. Creating me a clean heart and renew the right spirit within me. He's saying the same thing. Clean heart and right spirit is the same thing. So spirit and heart is the same thing. You cannot separate spirituality from the heart. When Jesus said in John chapter 4, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying that the location of a spiritual man during worship is from his heart. Because the argument in John 4 was about location. The woman was saying, well, we worship here. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus was saying, that's not the issue. They that worship will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, where is the place in spirit? The place in spirit is the place in heart or from the heart. That's why only the new creation can worship. Anybody without a recreated woman spirit cannot worship. He may be a celebrity musician. His concerts may attract 1,000 people. But if he is not saved, that is, his spirit is not recreated, his heart is not right, he has no capacity to worship. Are you listening to me here? The capacity to worship is not about whether he can sing tenor or, or auto or soprano. All of that is not important here. We're talking about the location of the heart. Because that's the only place where authentic approved worship can spring out from. In fact, in, in, in the Jewish dealings, in God's dealings with the Jews, Every time God commanded something, particularly financial gifts, he insisted that people who want to give and donate must give from their heart. Anything you give or do without the heart, God does not identify with it because if it's without the heart, it is done in the flesh. And because God is spirit and they that must worship, the word worship is they must serve, they must honor, must worship in spirit. So you cannot do anything in the flesh and God will count it. God will recognize it. It's not possible. Glory to God. Glory to God. Okay, so I'm trying to explain how the heart and the spirit of man are simply the same thing. Now, of course, sometimes the phrase heart also implies solical realities, mental realities. Some of these realities or concepts overlap into each other, but then it is also safe to say that the spirit of man and the heart of man is talking about the same thing in a lot of context. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. Um, Paul spoke about God's word dwelling in you richly. I will amplify on this later. But he says, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms. Everybody say Psalms. Everybody say hymns. Everybody say spiritual songs. So teaching and admonition one another in Psalms. 
in hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your heart. Singing with grace in your heart. See a similar portion of scriptures in Ephesians 5 and verse 19. So spiritual songs have to be sung, as it were, from the heart. In Ephesians 5.19, it says something similar. Speaking to yourself in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I said glory to God. Uh, once it springs from the heart, that's when it can get to God. It doesn't get to God because your hallelujah is loudest. Amen. Amen. It's good to make it loud, but then it must be from the heart. Say, hallelujah, it's not for me. Or it's, not, it's, for, it's not for my God. It's, that one is for me. If you are clapping for Jesus, that one is too small. Okay. After all the noise and the jamboree, no, Allah, just ensure it is from the heart. It cannot get to God if it is not from the heart. Are we clear? Yes, <laughs> I've seen Apostle Arume on two occasions, and I'm really embarrassed for the people he has rebuked. The first occasion was, uh, I'm not sure the event was, and he began to sing a song, and choir members came to join him. So he said, please stop singing, stop singing. I don't know where you came from. <laughs> so, <laughs> what it means is that, I don't know your location, because are you singing to flaunt your tenor voice? Are you singing to flaunt your pitch? Or are you in the location of the heart? Because if you are not in the same location as I am, we can't arrive at the same end. And then the last time he did it was in the conference he attended just two weeks ago. I was really, I really felt bad for the person. Somebody was playing the keyboard. So he said, please, 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 stop, stop, stop. That sound, that sound, something is wrong. <laughs> he said, if I say, go, go, let somebody else come and play for me. There are some people who are where you want to play for, be sure. If not, stay in the audience and be opening your Bible. It's not difficult. I mean, you, it's not like you say, ah, everybody have their standards. In the day, Elisha said, bring me a minstrel. You think anybody could show up? Ask yourself, if Elisha comes today and say, bring me a minstrel, can you stand? Can you stand? Don't be sincere. I know you have a good voice. I know you have a high peace, but can you, can you, can you stand the prophet? Can you be the one to provoke the prophet? So, everybody has to measure themselves and say, I know fit. Make another person come down. I don't want embarrassment because some people are dependent on that sound. Some people are not dependent; they can continue without sound or not. But some people are dependent on it, and it's not a crime. There's, Elisha is not an inferior prophet because he said to me, a minister. Glory to God! All right, I was trying to explain heart and spirit, spirit and heart, and all of that. So Christianity is a heart life. Every activity must spring out from the heart for it to be maximal, for it to be productive. I said last week, it's not about the quantity of our spiritual activity. It's not about being much spiritual activity. It's not about increasing spiritual activity. It is about, is it maximal? Is it productive? Is it good enough? And we have to establish the fact that if it is not done from the heart, it will not be maximal until Christian activity is done from the heart. If I don't preach from my heart, it cannot be maximal. If you don't listen with your heart, 
it cannot be maximal. If you don't pray from your heart, it cannot be maximal. If you don't go to church from your heart and stay in church from your heart and behave in church from your heart, it cannot be maximal. I've seen scriptures upon scriptures that show that people can do the right thing, but once it's not done properly, it will be in vain. Glory to God. Let me explain heart again in a way that is a little bit more holistic. When we say heart, it is not just about spiritual realities. It involves emotions, it involves affections, it involves passion. Emotions, affections, passion. In Genesis 6, 6, we read about the heart of God. And it certainly isn't speaking about the organ that pumps blood or that circulates blood. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. So the phrase grieved him at his heart means that it grieved God in the core of his being. In the, in the innermost part of him. So your heart is your core. Your innermost part. In fact, your real you. And so when he speaks about the heart of God... He says he grieved him at his heart. I like you to just understand that some measures of the human soul also applies to this definition of the heart. Are you clear? I want to be sure I'm not speaking over your head. I want to try and break it down very well. Una de feel me. Because once again, it's possible to hear someone without your heart. I will explain that. When I'm teaching about the word. It's possible to hear someone, but um, <laughs> you don't understand anything inside. Just nothing like a touches. But you don't, there's no comprehension. Because the seat of comprehension is the heart. Glory to God. So if you don't understand, there's no crime. I would explain again, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. It's until it affects your heart, it cannot profit you. Glory to God. So the heart involves emotions, affections. When God says we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, alright, he's talking about certain emotional, affectionate expressions of love. I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the plagues of our generation is that the heart is gradually being separated from the Christian life. Many people are doing many things without their heart. We chant without our heart. We tongue without our heart. We sing without our heart. And so Christianity is becoming a convenient religion. You can do many things without the heart. But our heart is supposed to be actively involved in all our worship, all our service, all our activity. So please note, it involves emotions, affections, and passion. Glory to Jesus. It is... Important to note that as someone who is saved, it is natural for you to have a heart towards God. And this is not something that is a mechanical orchestration. I will use biological parenting to explain. It is natural for a mother to be affectionate towards her son. The son may be a bad son, may be an ugly son in your opinion, 
may be a stubborn son in your opinion, but it is absolutely natural, normative for a mother to be affectionate towards a child. So if a child is crying, everybody may look away, everybody may say, hey, it's just a cry. It is absolutely normal for the mother to say, I can't stand the cries of this child. That's why I wonder what happened when in Jewish days, because of scarcity of food, women were killing their children to eat. The heart must have been so terrible for you to carry the child. Put the child where you are supposed to cut chicken. Carry knife. Lift it up. That in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the heart of a mother, that's like one million years. Lift up the kitchen. <laughs> the knife. Cut the child. <laughs> Carry the cut body. I'm playing on your imaginations. Horror movies. Put it inside pot. On the fire. Put curry. <laughs> put maggi. Put pepper. Wait for it to cook. I never acknowledge it has cooked. Open the pot. Okay. I don't think they I don't think they were rich enough to fry. Because if they were so poor, they probably didn't have oil. But now they started eating it. Then planned to eat the next one. Hmm. Even ritual killers don't do that. They don't do that. Some ritual killers they have some conscience. Things, have been, things must have been so bad in their hearts. Glory to God. But it is natural for a mother to be affectionate towards a child and it's just because it's the design of um, heritage. So when you are born of God, it is natural to be affectionate towards God. It's natural to be emotional about the things of God. Are you listening to me here? It is, don't, make, see, don't let anybody make you feel that you are doing too much because you are emotional about the things of God. No, you're not, you're not doing enough. You mean I can cry over Manchester United but I cannot weep in worship? You mean weeping in worship is considered extremism? But... Raising my voice over 22 men around the other ball is considered normal. Normal guy stuff. You have to redefine what normal is. You have to define what you have to redefine what normal is. You mean I can shout when somebody misses a chance to score a goal, but I should not shout when I'm in church and they say make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's very abnormal. That's very strange. It is natural to be affectionate, heartfelt towards God. It's not extremism. It's normative. It's the norm. In fact, if you are not doing that, you are strange. You are quite strange, especially if you have double personality. If normally you don't shout, you are watching ball, you watch it with a cool tone. Why didn't he score? Then when it comes to things of God too, you're like, yeah, Lord, I so love you. 
Alright, it's the same, it's the same. There's no religion. But if when you're watching both, why did this come? Ah! Then when it's time for church. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we have to confirm. Why does the script have to change in church? And you need to begin to examine yourself and say, is this normal? Am I doing the right thing? Or is it that there is a religion stronghold in my soul that is hindering me from expressing myself in front of the one who can see me naked and knows me thoroughly? Glory to God. Alright. But having established that it is natural to be affectionate towards God, people's hearts can be trained in the wrong direction. There are many Christians, like I said, whose heart is far from God. That's not their normal default existence. Something has happened. They have been trained away from affection in the direction of the divinity. They have been taught and trained and exercised away from God. And so it is now strange to be heartfelt towards God. It is strange to be passionate towards God. It is strange to be emotional about God. It is strange to be affectionate towards God. And that's why we are trying to train you back. Amen. In the day a mother could boil a child and eat, initially, it was a heart problem. A heart disease has entered. And they had to be retrained. Their souls had to be retrained. So, ah, this person has to be in a bad place, so let's train them again. So, so that normalcy will be restored. That's why one of the descriptions or examples to describe God's relationship with his children is, can a mother forget a suckling child? Because that's supposed to be like the height of intimacy. He now says, even if she can, because some can, he says, yet I will not forsake you. Glory to God. I said, glory to God. So, this conversation is supposed to train our hearts to be restored to default heart positioning, where all our activities will now be from the place of the heart towards God. When that is done, even if we pray short, it will work well. And even when we pray long, it will equally work well. When, once we get that location of the heart, the adjustment correct and accurate, it will not be about do more prayers, do more singing, shout more hallelujahs. No. It will be that you do it for the time you do it and it will be potent. Because right now it is from the heart. Glory to God. So let's get it very, very quickly out of my chest and out of my notes. There are three major things I want to say and I want to address and then we'll get it done as quickly as I receive all trans. And we trust God for understanding. Now, heart expressed spiritual activity. That's the subtopic for this conversation now. Spiritual activities that is expressed from the heart. I want to mention three things here. The first thing is keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. You see that phrase in... Um, First Timothy, think in chapter 1 and verse 5. Let's check it out. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul speaks about the goal. The phrase end here is goal or purpose. The purpose of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. So, talking about the same thing actually. Pure heart, good conscience. 
and of faith unfeigned. The phrase faith unfeigned is faith without hypocrisy. Put it in another version. Let's confirm my assumptions here. Alright, purpose of my instruction. So the phrase end is purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and genuine faith. So the idea of genuine faith is not possible without a clear conscience and a pure heart. If your conscience is not clear and your heart is not pure, your faith is fake. It's not genuine. The phrase faith is your devotion to God or your expression of religion. It is fake. It is not genuine. And that's what we are saying. That's the problem of religion. Religion keeps you busy with activity. Program upon program, conference upon conference, prayer points upon prayer points, and all of that is not genuine because there's no clear conscience, there's no pure heart. So, in progressing in this conversation, I want to first establish the base of a clear conscience or a good conscience. It's Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Apostle Paul explains to his audience that he has kept a good conscience before God. <laughs> he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this very moment. You see, this has to be your testimony. You must look around and say, well, my conscience is clear. And your conscience must be a good one. Because some people have bad consciences. So even if it is clear, you know, when those women ate their children, their conscience was clear. Because their conscience was bad. So it is not enough to say, I don't feel anything in my heart, though. my conscience is clear. There are people dressing like sexual workers or sex workers, and they say, but I don't see anything bad there now. It's because your heart eh, is, it needs an ICU treatment. We need to change some things, remove some things, fix it. I say, okay, now I understand. That's why when somebody is not saved, the person does not see anything wrong with sin. I was reading somebody say, I don't understand why the Catholic Church would, would claim that homosexuality is a sin. Now the Pope has come to say that um, priests can bless the union. Why are you blessing something and you say it's a sin? Your blessing is nothing. You must first agree that it's not even a sin. Well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not surprised. You're not saved. You, you have no capacity to understand what sin is. You know, your definition of good is what gives pleasure. If it gives pleasure, it is good. So even if raping somebody gives you pleasure, it's good. That's, that's why people become perverts. Somebody say, it's only sweet when it's by force. Yeah. So they now create their own happiness. That's why when you see Christians chasing happiness, you know you will, you will die. You don't chase happiness as a Christian. You chase holiness. Happiness is overrated. See, the only way it can, it can make me happy is if I, I steal it. Stolen waters are sweet. Stolen bread is sweet. <laughs> You're going to die like that. Happiness is overrated. Just be happy. I just want to be happy. Now, let's say if Chop, she was happy and she died. Happiness is overrated. Just do what makes you happy. What job makes you happy? What life makes you happy? What man makes you happy? 
I'm happily married, though. Amen. Amen. So I'm not against being happily married. And everybody wants to live happily ever after. That's the life, huh? But happiness is not as primary as holiness. So he's not saved, but it makes me happy. All these Christian brothers are too serious. They're always weeping for their generation. I just want to be happy. Is that too much to ask? <laughs> Sisters, amen. You better know the place of happiness. Don't put it in the first place. Don't put it in the first place. It's kind of wreck your life. Happiness can wreck your life. Glory to God. That lady made something happy. Something must have been happy. You sat down or you lay down, you know, at her feet or at her laps. And she was playing with the interlocking stones of your head. She was tracing all the nerves, applying the right massage. It must have been a very happy time until they come on your eye. <laughs> until they come on your eye. Because hey, happiness is fleeting, it passes away. There's no permanent permanency to it. It passes away. It's for five minutes, it's for five hours, it's for five days, and afterwards you are back to everlasting soul. So I was talking about keeping a clear conscience. Your conscience has to be clear. Now everything you do as a spiritual person. Anything you do as a Christian, without a clear conscience, will not be effective. Oh boy, I should have written this down. Pierre, you look for it for me. It's in, um, maybe the Philippian letter. Paul says he was waiting for Titus, no, it's the Corinthian letter. It's in Corinthian church. His heart had no rest because he did not see his partner in ministry. I think it's the third chapter. It can be the third chapter of the Corinthians. Maybe if... I'm not sure, but... <laughs> so many things are messed up in my head right now. <laughs> Give me a few seconds here. Let me try and get it out. If I know where it is. But he, he went to preach. He went to preach and then he had no rest. No, 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 please, not close. <laughs> 2.13 of Second Corinthians. Alright, please, get me that, please. Alright, yeah, that's scripture. Now, glory to God. Put it in verse um, 12. Let's see the context. Furthermore, when I came to Troas, or Troas rather, to preach Christ, to do what? Are we still together? Yes, sir. I came to preach. I didn't, I didn't go on holidays. I wasn't on a vacation with my wife. I came to preach Christ. Drop your volume. I came to preach Christ. A door was opened unto me of who? I came to preach Christ. God opened the door. Guess what? Verse 13. I had no rest in my spirit. Because found not Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them. So, a door was open. I came to preach. I could not preach. I had to leave. Because if there's no peace in my spirit, or rest in my spirit, or clear conscience, you won't be productive. Even though it's God that opened the door. 
Even though you want to preach Christ, you won't be productive. Are you listening to me here? As a preacher, I am not productive when I'm focused. Narrowed on scripture. Narrowed on the word and prayer. Once I get distracted because somebody is not doing their job, my productivity level drops. Paul says, God opened the door for me. I even went there to preach the gospel. But I couldn't. I had to leave. Because I did not find Titus. And because I didn't find Titus, I had no rest in my spirit. That is, I had no peace in my soul. That is, my conscience was not clear. Other people would have just said, I'll just take peace like that. It does not matter. Paul understood the principle of productivity. It was your time. <laughs> Waste your time. This does not mean every time there is unrest in the natural, you cannot be effective spiritually. The idea of a spiritual man is that your internal environment is not regulated by external happenings. Your maturity is supposed to be that solid that even if there's war around and you're in Afghanistan, you can still have peace in your soul. But if there is peace outside and there is no rest inside, don't do it. It's a waste of time. This current location, there was peace. It seemed like there was no persecution. Paul was not going to an endangered territory. But because there was no peace in his spirit, he said, I'm not going to do it. What I'm going to do is a good thing. He's preaching the gospel of Christ. The door was opened by God, but I'll be wasting my time if I continue. You must understand this thing. Some of you wake up in the morning, and with all the unrest in your soul, because of bitterness, offenses, hurts, anger, malice, you just begin to speak in tongues. And you think it counts, because it is spiritual activity. Well, much of those, or much of that is in vain. You need to understand what spirituality is in terms of productivity. You need to understand if there is no rest in your soul, there's no point continuing. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. What gives rest? Clear conscience. Two things that helps your conscience, holiness and doctrine. The practice of holiness and accurate doctrine. Now, holiness is very important because I'm speaking about holiness in the context of abstaining from everything that you know is wrong, you know is sinful, you know should not be done, you know it's not appropriate. If you don't do that, your conscience will not be at rest. Every Christian has a working conscience to an extent. Except you have seared it to a point where it is no more working. And when they get to that point, of course, that's a very terrible case. We, we cannot even help you much. However, many Christians are not in the terrible place, but they are in an average place. They have consistently shut down the voice of the conscience, which is supposed to be an echo of the spirit. And so, their conscience is seared to some extent. That's why, <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was listening to, we listening to Andrew Womack, and somebody in his ministry board, I think, was involved in sexual sin, but it was not just sexual sin. That was, uh, Paul, Paul was writing about sexual sin in First Corinthians 5. He says, it is reported amongst you that there are sexual sins happening, but it's not normal sexual sin. He says, the one that's happening, even amongst unbelievers, it does not happen. Say a man is sleeping with his father's wife. That one is a grade A, pro max, sexual And this person was a Christian, was saved. Amen. Amen. Because his conscience has been broken down to the point where 
He could do this kind of pro-max activity and yet, I mean, he still continues. I think it's getting hot too. Please. How many of you support the fan? Okay. I'm alone in this ministry. Let me continue. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So Andrew Max said somebody in his ministry team was involved in some kind of sexual thing that was outrageous. He was sleeping with prostitutes twice or thrice daily. I'm talking about daily. Not, it was not sleeping with just a regular couple. You go to prostitutes twice or thrice. So when Andrew comforted him, and Andrew is a very, if you know him, he's a very um, soft-hearted person. He's not a condemner. He doesn't judge people. But he was just confused. Like, I cannot understand. Help me understand. How do you go and, if you know Andrew's upbringing, you will understand why he's like that. Andrew was raised with so much innocence. All his life, never smoked, never drank, went to fight for the American government as a soldier in Vietnam. He had no profanity from his mouth, never cursed, never used foul language. Very smooth, cool guy, even before he was saved. So, he says, how, how do I wrap my mind around somebody saved, a minister of the gospel, going to prostitutes twice or thrice daily? Daily. And uh, he, he said, I was t- telling the guy that I, I'm, I'm not condemning, but I'm trying to understand. How do you do You remove your trousers? Like, thrice, daily. It's not once a week, once a month. I'm talking about, they, and not just, you're not doing with friends, you're doing with strangers. What happened to your conscience? And he said, the guy was just saying, mm, you can't understand. Yeah, he said, yeah, exactly. I can't understand. <laughs> Glory to God. Yeah. And then my wife and I con- concluded that, well, one of the reasons is because we have separated. Now, what Mark was saying that, for him, the first thing that will come to his mind, if he's tempted in that direction, is that, how will God feel about it? My wife and I said, that's something that is not emphasized in modern preaching. People don't care about how God feels. People only care about how they feel. We don't talk about how God feels because it's not about heart anymore. It's not about affection. It's about just you. Be cool. Be happy. Nobody's asking, how does God feel about this dress? How does God feel about what I said? This foul language that comes out of my mouth. Nobody's asking that. We just say, well, I'm loved. God loves me. He died for me. God is asking, how does God feel about what I do? Since he loves me, it means he feels much for me. Amen. Amen. If he loves you much, he will feel much for you. Is that not so? God is asking that. He loves me, and I'm saved. I'm a Christian. How does God feel about this thing you are thinking, this thing you are doing? Nobody is asking that. That's why we have Christians doing the worst of things. We're trying to wrap our minds and say, how does somebody say do that? We don't talk about heart Christianity again. We don't talk about a clear conscience. Paul spoke about without a clear conscience, faith can be shipwrecked. That's in one of those epistles to Timothy. Help me find that out. Without a clear conscience or good conscience, faith can be shipwrecked. Some people have shipwrecked their faith because they did not keep a clear conscience. Sorry, this is not your job, but I expected you to help me. 
This should be my job. I just First Timothy one nineteen. Holding faith and a good conscience. Glory to God. Are we still together? Please, let's listen. I know that the Amatan may make you sleepy, but let's listen. I'm not trying to impress you. I'll be a failure if I impress you and you don't understand. I want you to understand. If you, if you understand, I have succeeded. If you don't understand, I have failed. So help me to succeed. Is that fine? Can you help me? Help me to succeed. I need you to understand. It's not enough to do many activities. You, do, you have been doing, you have been, you, too, you know, you have been doing, you have been doing, you have been doing things. We want to get to productivity. Glory to God. Glory to God. All in faith and a good conscience, which some haven't put away, and the phrase haven't put away, referring to good conscience. I've made, or rather, Having put away concerning faith, I've made shipwreck. So we have faith. What seemingly puts faith in a good place is good conscience. If you put away good conscience, this faith would be shipwrecked. And faith here refers to Christian life. So keep your conscience clear. Two things I said holiness and then accurate doctrine. The reason accurate doctrine is involved is because if you are wrongly taught, your conscience will be wrongly trained. The conscience is so flexible, so malleable, it can be trained in any direction. Somebody can really swear that anybody wearing trousers as a girl will go to hell. She can swear. In fact, she can see visions. You don't know how bad, how, no, how powerful the conscience is. Some of your dreams are generated by the conscience. It's your conscience that generated the dream, generated the vision, generated the prophecy. And you hold on to it and say, ah, I know what I'm saying. In fact, you quote scripture because you are an illiterate of the Bible. I know what I'm saying. How can you palm air and make heaven? I you now your Bible man giving, it's not your Bible man that they are, they are using for memes now. I own this move too much. I say, if you want boss, say, Mommy Joe, yeah. if you want boss, say, you are going to hell. It's virtually nothing. And she's saying it with audacity. Say, God told me. I saw it. And she's not lying. A God told her something. A God. Not the God of the Bible. She really saw something, honestly. She's not, jo- she's not joking. You could see the passion in her eyes. <laughs> so if you are not well taught, your conscience would show. It will show you shit. <laughs> You will be holding on to something and say, this thing is good, this thing is good, this thing is good. Oh, God is like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Mamadio, it's even too far. Look, I think it was in prayers, we mentioned Apostle Peter. What's in prayers? Peter's conscience believed that the gospel was only for the Jews. This is Acts chapter 10. The conversation, I think, however, begins actually 10. Cornelius' house and so Peter had a vision to correct his deficiency. In the vision, a voice said, Whatever I have called clean, don't call unclean. Twice the vision happened to him. Because a whole Peter did not understand, did not know that even Cornelius, although he was a Gentile, he could be saved. He, he should be saved. 
with all the teachings he had received from Jesus, his knowledge base was still deficient. Paul had to confront him for his double standards. Because every time he was around the Jews, he would act normally. When he was among the Gentiles, he would pretend. That was Peter. Glory to God. Yet, in his conscience, he thought he was doing the right thing. At the point where Peter was living a double life, his conscience did not prick him as a well. Because his teaching was not holistic yet. Oh, there. There are many things you don't know that has made your conscience uncomfortable. You see, sometimes you just think, it's bad, Joe. How will PJ be rapping? Pastor, doing worldly music, rap. Rap. It's devil music. I didn't even say a yo a yo in any of the song. His scripture was quoting. But you don't believe just, just, just because the music does like this. It's devil music. Amen. Amen. And your conscience is sure. Even in the house of God. How can a man wear cap in the house of God? And we're praying. You don't remove the cap. <laughs> and you'll be, you'll be talking with energy. <laughs> How can a woman not cover her hair? What are your head? Depending on your children. In the house of God. You'll, and you'll be, you'll be fabricating. You'll be fabricating. You go to hell. And the angels will be saying, <laughs> So... If you are not well taught, your conscience it will be trained. You will defend certain things that will make God amuse them. That was everything. I don't know. <laughs> what is that? You have been wrongly trained. Glory to God. My job is not to teach you. The emphasis of today's teaching is not sound doctrine. But throughout this year, and I think I emphasized in the first teaching. The first teaching, which was about swearing, yes, sound doctrine. Oh, I beg, yeah, anything with no sound, you you can't allow it to control your life. Some of you, your your destinies are controlled by um, religious lies. You know, in first which before, put it on the screen, please. Paul was explaining doctrines of demons. <laughs> when you hear doctrine of demons, what, what comes to your mind? Put it first in the four, please. Spirit speaker expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving it to seducing spirit and doctrine of devils. Sounds like very big deals. Is that not so? Come on, if you hear seducing spirits, you don't go vibrate more. If I say, I am a seducing spirit. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'm not your crush, so you cannot relate. But if somebody you like, you just see on earth spiritually in the vision, say this is spirit. Somebody you like, see, hey, God has answered my prayer. I will I show you have exposed the, the person I wanted to come and destroy my life. So giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, verse two. Look at what doctrines of devils are in the context of this chapter. Speaking lies. In hypocrisy, that's the, that's the, that's the hypocrisy is the, is the foundation. 
the doctrine of devils as a spirit. Having their conscience said with the whole hand. Look at verse 3. Forbidding to marry. Somebody can believe that if I marry, I will not be able to fulfill purpose. I'll be a father. Meanwhile, it can be a doctrine of devils. Hey, are we together here? It sounds spiritual. Agba missionary. Kumari. <laughs> oh, he loves God so much, he reveals the man. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a doesn't sound like doctrine of devils. It sounds like doctrine of angels. Agba. He doesn't want to touch woman. Woman will corrupt his anointing. Corrupt his oil. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meat which God has created to be received. How can you as a Christian be eating catfish? Don't you know catfish is from the place where a third marine world? It sounds like a doctrine of angels or doctrine of devils. Cat, catfish. Where God give me, make her the garden life. <laughs> Glory to God. And somebody believes that if he abstains from that, he's a spiritual person. He's in catfish fast. <laughs> Glory to God. And he says, these things were created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. If you don't know the truth, your conscience can be seared by false doctrines. When we say searing conscience, people think it's only about sin. Wrong doctrines can sear your conscience. Sear conscience. You'll be fighting against what God is doing. <laughs> you will see men of God and call them fake. You will see a prophet and reject him because he didn't wear shofar. Or he didn't wear what? No, it's not shofar. Shofar is the one in blue. What is this one that they wear? Sure. Because you have not been taught the truth. You don't know the truth. You will see Jesus and crucify him. <laughs> your conscience, and all of that, you will be, be thinking you are doing God a favor. You think you are fighting for God. Your conscience is seared because you are not well taught. So when we say conscience, it's not only sin that says conscience. Know what, know the truth, and know it well. Glory to God. And I'm saying all of that because if your conscience is not in the right place, your spiritual activity will count for little, very little. You will be doing so much, but there will be little productivity to it. Glory to God. Glory to God. All right, now I want to stress this clear conscience thing again. So let's look at a few scriptures. Matthew 15 and verse 16 to 20. These are the words of Jesus. Same. It, it's it follow-up to our original text. But we're just reading the reminder or the remainder of the verses. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Because his apostles did not understand what he said earlier. Do not ye yet understand that whosoever entereth into the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the drought. The word drought there is excreted out. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile the man. By the way, the conversation was from verse 1 
Jesus was trying to tell the Pharisees that the hypocrisy of washing hands before you eat bread does not make you more spiritual. The hypocrisy of not eating all this, this, you know, this, you know, this, you know, this does not make you more spiritual. So the apostles didn't understand. They were confused. Like, I can't say that. I'm sure Peter was among the people very confused because in Acts chapter 10, it's still a revision to explain to him. Are you saying that I cannot be defied? If I tell you some of this I'm eating, you, you, you may not shake me again. I'm eating snake. You say, eh? Who said, eh? <laughs> so you still don't understand what you are saying. If I give, cut it and give it, you will not know. You eat it and say, I thank God for good food. You will not know it's snake. You will not know. I will not eat snake again. No. Why? Because I ate snakes now. When I, snake, when I ate that time, I did not eat it. That's why the conscience is the funny thing. Now that I eat snake, now that I ate snake, I will not eat snake. Because my conscience, I cannot sleep in peace. To steal the peace of my soul. Doesn't mean anybody that eats snake now has done anything wrong. Conscience. Everybody say conscience. That's why, with respect to certain instructions, I'm coming back to Matthew 15. I'm just trying to explain all this. With respect to certain instructions in 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14, Paul gives a liberality of compliance. Some people with a weak conscience believe eating certain meat is wrong. Some people believe that there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong about it. But he says, well, in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, don't because of your actions allow your brother stumble. If he has a weak conscience, you have to protect his conscience. Well, church has become very selfish. You have to protect your conscience by yourself. Because not many people are protecting other people's consciences. So you have to protect your... Best way to protect your conscience sound doctrine. Know what is good, know what is wrong. For real, for real. Glory to God. Back to Matthew 15, please. So out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Everybody say out of the heart. Evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemous. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defiles not a man. And so Paul is explaining here, Jesus is explaining that a man is corrupted or defiled based on what happens to his heart. The location that corrupts and defiles is not the hand, it's not the mouth, it's the heart. Everybody say the heart. Yes. So if your conscience, which we're trying to narrow down now with practical applications, if your conscience is not pure, your heart defiled, either due to sinful actions or wrong thoughts, everything you do will be defiled. Your prayers will be defiled. Follow. Your Bible reading will be defiled. That's why those people with legalistic religious rules who insist that if you wear this one, you're going to hell, if you need this one, you're going to hell, they read the Bible, but they still cannot see it because even when they read the Bible, it's with defiled eyes. They can't see the truth. You, you, they were actually even caught from the same Bible. Something they don't even understand. Because their heart is defiled by wrong doctrine. It's like somebody wearing a tinted or tinted yellow glasses and everything is seen is yellow. Even though someone is wearing a red dress, you see, yellow. Because his glass is tinted yellow. When I see the infirmary. Yeah. So, know the truth. Really know the truth. K 
Keep a clear conscience. Keep a pure conscience. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 5, the popular psalm that speaks about who will ascend. Let's start probably from. Show me what 3 says. 24. Psalm 24. Show me what 3 says. Okay. Who shall ascend is a good place to start. Into the hill of the Lord, or who will stand in his holy place. And it goes on to say, He that has clean hands and a pure heart. So this refers to action and heart. Clean hand. So hand is different from heart here. Clean hand, pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. There are many ascending sounds. How many of you ascend with that sound? Now don't be pretend now. Okay, maybe maybe that you use that. It's a good prayer sound. Okay, now the psalmist says this ascending. If you carry sound, sound, and your heart no pure, you go descend actually. You go to say you dare high, you know dare high. <laughs> you are your conscience is set. You have no capacity to relate with God, and you're in a very bad state because your hands and your heart is not clean. Glory to God. And you know, to buttress this point, walking in love is one of the great exercises of cleaning your heart. Walking free of offense, bitterness, hurts. I have noticed this amongst ancient believers that one of the things they did not tolerate was filth in their heart. And I do not necessarily even mean moral sense. Many of the times, why they took the route of certain protocols, such as before I pray, I must ask for forgiveness, was that they were trying to clean their heart first. That so-called asking for forgiveness was just an expression of examining their heart. Is there something I should have dealt with? Is there something I should have cleansed? Is there something I should have repented from? Many Christians don't do that anymore because it is just a mechanical jumpstart approach to spiritual activity. You start. You ascend, you ascend. With the sound, you ascend. But are you sure you are really ascending? So, most of those Asian fathers, do, they don't rush their prayers. They will first check their soul. I tell Reverend John, says every day, he goes to God and says, God, is there something? Search my heart. Try my reins. Say something I've done that you don't like. I want to check with you. I want to run it through with you. Are you happy with me? Are you pleased with me? Am I cool with you? Is there something I should change? That's why their prayer was more effective. Many of them did not speak in tongues. But their heart was in a particular shape. They did not tolerate any iota of filth. Who shall ascend? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Glory to God. I like to see this as a prayer emphasis in Mark 11, verse 23 to 25. Mark 11, 23 to 25. Jesus teaching on faith and prayers. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. Everybody say in his heart. Make that a little bit louder, please. But shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass. 
he shall have whatsoever he seeketh. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, I will explain this shortly also, when ye pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Verse 25, and when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have hurt against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Why is this important in the faith conversation? Because you have no capacity to really believe effectively if your conscience is not clear. Yeah. And the things he mentions here that can hinder your heart faith expression is not necessarily even big deals. He says if you stand praying and you have hurt against any, that is you were the one that was even offended. You were the one that was offended. Somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody broke your heart. Maybe Moses Bliss, for instance. For those of you who relate to that kind of a thinking. Forgive. Because. <laughs> but I said, I'm plenty with the. Uh, this Moses Bliss matter. Forgive. If you have. Now, when you stand praying, forgive. So when you come to pray before God. One of the things you must do is to get your heart involved. And one of the things you do is to try and remember. Is there somebody that I'm offended at? Is there somebody I am keeping malice with? Many Christians don't practice that anymore. Just start praying like a robot. Say, I don't know why it's not working. Hmm. We have not learned the protocol. Glory to God. When I see they feel me, I'm trying once again to, to make you understand. If you don't understand... I failed. So please, simple things like this make a great difference. All right, First um, Peter chapter three and verse seven. First Peter chapter three and verse seven. Peter explaining it in the marital context, but it also applies in the general context. Likewise, likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Read the next statement together. I want to go. Alright, that was too fast for some people. So everybody look on the screen if you can. Or if you have a King James Bible, we can read together. Let's read the last statement together. One, two, go. So it's possible that prayers can be in that. It's a possibility. It doesn't matter how legitimate the prayer is. However, certain things can determine if that prayer will be in that or not. One of the things is that if your relationship with your spouse, or we can extend it with your friend, with your covenant brother, with your Christian brethren. Because this, this context is a covenant context. It says, because you are ears together. Amen. Amen. So in the marital context, I'm ears together with my wife. But also in a general Christian context, I'm also ears together with you. Is that not so? Uh-huh. So one way to keep a clear conscience is to ensure your relationship with other people is lovely. Loving. Otherwise, you discover you are doing many spiritual activity, but it is not working. Is that well taken? Okay, I think we can progress now to the next thing. We are speaking about maximizing spirituals. This is the second part of the conversation. And I've spoken about, or I'm speaking about currently heart expressed spiritual activity. I've spoken about keeping a clear conscience as the first thing to note with respect to that. Now I want to address prayers as recommended by scripture. 
keeping a clear conscience. And the next thing I want to address is prayer as a spiritual activity. Prayer. But prayer as recommended by scripture. Because if you do prayer as recommended by any other authority, you're not likely going to get any results. There are many instructions in scripture about prayer, but I want to narrow it to the heart matter we are talking about. Glory to God. Are you still in church? Do you want a break? Give somebody a high five. Let's do a high five break. That will help some of you. Hallelujah. The first thing I want to say about prayer is that you must also understand prayer. Remember, we are talking about heart Christianity. We are saying what makes Christianity productive and maximal is that it is done from the heart. It is possible to pray with your mouth and not pray with your heart. And I've seen again and again that the modern prayer movement can easily fall snare to the trap of separating heart from prayers. There's a lot of verbal expressions, a lot of gymnastics, a lot of um, seeming outward fervency. Nobody sees the heart. We are not saying everybody is doing that without their heart, but it is very possible to enter that temptation of doing prayer without heart. The first thing about heart with respect to prayer is that you must understand what prayer is. Let me say it like this. Anything you do as a spiritual activity that you don't understand, you are minimizing the potency of it. If you speak in tongues without understanding the concept of speaking in tongues, you are minimizing the potency of speaking in tongues. Some things will still work, but it will not be maximal. Hallelujah. Yeah. I was sharing the church in a prayer meeting some days ago because of my, my, my teaching ministry. I had to investigate the secessionist movement and confirm what they believe and why they believe what they believe. And I began to read a lot of their schools of thought with respect to speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts. And my soul was beginning to get brainwashed. Well, not necessarily absolutely, but it seemed like because of excessive reading in the opposite direction of the argument, anytime I began to speak in tongues, there will be some roots of doubt, which I will have to deal with and quench. Dealing with a quench. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be clear about this. Either speak in your own tongue and defies himself. Because if you hear this situation, all you hear consistently is, it's gibberish. It's gibberish. I'm just saying rubbish now. If, let's try something. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, tongues is gibberish. Say it ten times. Tongues is gibberish. 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 Now, some of you don't understand what gibberish is, so let's make it better. Look at your neighbor and say, Tongue is rubbish. Tongues 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 is rubbish. Tongues. Now, begin to speak in tongues. It's an experiment. I mean, just begin to speak in tongues now. Rabasto fresh Alright, let's pause that. Let's pause that. How many of you when we speak in tongues? But you, you have to fight with tongues is gibberish. Tongues is rubbish. Because some of you, okay. 
That's the idea. When you hear a negative argument again and again and again, even if you don't support the argument because you are hearing it, when you want to act on the right thing, what you will hear will be a distraction. Are you catching it right now? That's why we have to constantly cleanse our hearts. Because we that we study, we, we, we need to be, you can study yourself out of the miraculous. Some people were walking miracles, then they read a book. <laughs> the book stole all the spiritual gifts away from them. <laughs> they say, oh, now we know doctrine. Huh? What you call doctrine is that you lost all your capacity to operate as a new creation. <laughs> so even in your quest to read, I want to read, I want to read. Be careful. You can eat poison. Are you listening to me here? Some people, their prophetic accuracy was so sharp until they heard the sermon. The sermon said, prophecy has nothing to do with revealing secrets. It's all about revealing Jesus. Then the sermon ended there. That statement is true only to an extent. Agabus was not revealing Jesus when he said there will be a drought, a famine. By this time of the year, everybody prepare for it. So somebody heard that and said, okay, it's true. And you get 13 scriptures to back up that notion. Your conscience is here. Your capacity to respond to the yielding of the prophetic gift. It goes. Glory to God. So anything you do without understanding, you minimize the potency. You pray without understanding, you turn without understanding. I'm worried about modern song singing. And my wife, my wife has been on the receiving end of my complaint. I say, why can't the average song, the song is for four minutes, tongues is two minutes. I don't understand. I, 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 I'm, the way people are singing up, it's a bit not a song. I asked, the, I asked my wife, imagine David, when writing the psalm, he can't write tongues. Say, we go feel, we go feel profit from him. And it's, even if you are singing anything, sir, people start writing Christian love songs, they will speak in tongues there. Oh, glory to God. Many more do many spiritual activities without understanding. Because once again, that's convenient. Once your heart is not involved, it's convenient to pray in tongues with your mouth alone. And don't move your mouth, move your mouth, your heart is not involved. It's convenient. It's convenient. So even among the tongues movement, we have to be careful. You can slip into error. You're just you're doing many things, twelve hours, nineteen hours, twenty hours, no thing, nothing to show because it's all mouth, no heart. Glory to God. So the way to get your heart involved, understand. When I'm speaking in tongues, what am I doing? What is tongues? What is the source of tongues? Who speaks in tongues? Who decides when, when I start and when I stop? Because when I said, start speaking in tongues, some of you were like, hey, come on, man. Huh? Just like that. Oh, okay, you thought Holy Ghost speaks in tongues. He doesn't speak in tongues. You decide when to start and when to stop. It's in your hand. So the person I didn't travel hours every day, it's not because he has 12 Holy Ghost. Either you're doing one hour, it's not because you have one Holy Ghost. He decides, you decide. I will speak in tongues if I want to. For that minutes, you write your decision. So if I say, start speaking in tongues now, you're going to be like, ah, but the only God did not move me. Oh. I'm not just my glasses, I'm looking at you. 
Glory to God. So, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm trying to say if you don't understand it, you can't benefit. You must learn anything you do in church. Why? When you pray, when you are praying, what are you doing? Are you just, if you don't understand prayer, you can't maximize prayer. If you don't understand scripture, you can't, you can't maximize scripture. If you don't understand the preaching, you can't maximize the preaching. Because your heart is not involved. Glory to God. So understand prayer. And I'm not here to define what prayer is and all of that. That's kindergarten class. But with respect to understanding prayer, I'd like you to engage it the way the scripture engages it or the way the scripture admonishes to engage it. Now let's see a few scriptures. Colossians 4.12 is the prayer of a man who is referred to by Paul a couple of times. We believe that he's a very praying disciple, praying Christian. Paul referenced him a couple of times. This is one of those occasions. Are we still together? Can you still hear me? Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluted you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. That's the phrase. Laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, it sounds like a very um, should I say harmless phrase. But I was checking the Greek of laboring fervently and the word laboring fervently is from the Greek agonizomai which is the root word for agony is the root word for agony do you know what agony is? are we still together? Do you know what agony is? So I can move on. So when he says Epaphras labors family, he's talking about that his expressions in um, prayer is very agonizing. And some mental pictures that come to your mind when you hear agony. Somebody says, I'm praying, but it's not working. Are you praying like Epaphras? Do you agonize? in prayers? Or are you convenient and comfortable in prayers? <laughs> are you listening to me here? I'm not saying every prayer must come with agony. Somebody wants to eat food. Just quack, 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 quack. 35,000 times. He develops a sore throat before he eats the food. I think Apostle Roman was the one saying that they asked somebody to Pray over food. The man stood up. Prayed for by the time he finished the prayer, people are stood up and left. Just to eat. I had something similar about Apostle Babalola, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that particular testimony. Amen. So the prayers that Jesus prayed without seemingly much agony. Father, I thank you. And then he broke bread. Okay. But there are prayers that the way they can be effective that you go agonize. Laboring fervently is what agony, laboring in agony. Particularly intercession. Particularly intercession. I'm praying for my mother, she's still not saved. Well, have you ever agonized in prayer for her? I know you've been praying, but have you agonized? Do you know what it is to shed a few tears that your mother might be saved? 
Do you know what it is to sweat it out in prayer that your brother might be saved? I like the phrase labor because it shows that prayer is work. If you do prayer like play, it will not work. Prayer works when you have, have a businessman approach to it. Glory to God. I said glory to God. That phrase is also a gymnastic term. The other usage of the word is to enter a contest, to contend in the gymnastic games. To contend with adversaries, to fight. Prayer is fight. To contend, struggle with difficulties and danger. Prayer is a struggle with difficulties and danger. To endeavor with strenuous zeal, to strive to obtain something. That's the prayer of Epaphras. But many of us don't pray like that. That's why prayer does not seem to work. Let's look at another portion of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. I don't have time. Since this is a series, I think I will just quit it. I won't mention the third thing. We'll probably continue with that next week. Now, speaking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, everybody say the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, read the next statement together. That's okay. Let's read it together one more time. One more time. Now, if you have not prayed like this, and you say, I have not yet seen the power of prayer. Well, you need to ask yourself, have you prayed this dimension? Because this is Jesus, Son of God, God in flesh. He had every other advantage on his side. Yet this was the only way he could get an answer. With strong crying. <laughs> Some of you cannot even relate because you have, you, you, you have only been taught to do like this. Don't do like this. Plus Jesus minus Satan. That's where you are. <laughs> And that's some form of prayer. But I'm saying there are certain things you cannot obtain like that. Oh, glory to God. Now, this is heart prayer. Strong crying and tears. Affection. Emotion. Passion. I told you heart involves affection. Emotion. Passion. See there? Strong crying and tears. See? Does God hate me? Must I cry before he hears me? No. It's not about God. It's about you. It is that there are certain things you cannot assess except you are in the place called heart. To get into that place called heart, some of times you need to express in crying, strong crying, and tears. Blood, sweat, tears. This is actually what it means by Pray with the desire in Mark 11. When you pray, whatever things you desire. You know one of the reasons why it's difficult to pray for Nigeria? Some of you don't care about Nigeria. That's why I, don't, I don't raise prayer for Nigeria again. I'm discovered the average person wants to travel out. Let's not pray for Nigeria. I'm say, but it's processing visa. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? When have you cry about Nigeria? I'm not talking about the Beatles for Nigeria Macho. I say, you took at our economy and you cried. And you did not cry because you are affected. 
You cry because you look at the entire country and you're like, what is this? So if you have not cried about Nigeria, it's difficult to pray for Nigeria. What's the truth? Because do you really care about Nigeria? <laughs> you are not trying to earn a living and build your career. Are you following me here? When prayer is done without passion, affection, it's not potent. Strong tears and crying. That's an expression of desire. That's how bad I want it. So, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe. Now, many people pray. Many people seemingly believe. But there's no desire. So, there's no heart involvement. Before I pray about anything, I want to confirm. Do I really want this thing? Do I really desire it? Because if you don't desire it, you're just praying about it. It's not going to happen, no. Even if your faith expression is seemingly accurate, if your heart positioning is faulty, it nullifies the prayer. One last scripture, James chapter 5 and verse 16. James 5 and verse 16. Confess your fault one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Everybody say, pray for one another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man Availeth much. Ah. Sorry, I know I said one more scripture, but there's one more scripture after this. So let me rush this. Effectual fervent prayer. Give me another version so we can understand what effectual fervent prayer is. Maybe the Amplified or the NLT. Alright, NLT says earnest prayer. Give me another version. Anyone that uses heartfelt prayer. Maybe the Amplified. Alright. The earnest, in bracket, heartfelt, continued prayer. So when you are praying, ask yourself, do I feel it in my heart? I know you feel it in your mouth, but do I feel it in my heart? Of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. Glory to God. I said glory to God. It's all heart. You see, if it's not heartfelt, it's not potent. The energy you generate from prayer can be traced to the source of the prayer. And by source, I don't mean God here, I mean heart or mouth. In this context, even, once again, you see an intercessory context. Confess your, confess your thoughts to one another and pray for one another. One of the reasons why intercession is no longer potent is because many of us don't have any feeling towards our, our, the other believer. We don't, we don't have no heart affection towards the next Christian. So it's difficult to even pray for somebody when you don't even have a heart affection for them. Are we following here? Then, when it also comes to kingdom matters, you can't pray for the kingdom when you have no heart for the kingdom. I don't have time, but the key figure in this is Elijah. Jealousy for God made him call down fire from heaven. You can't call down fire from heaven when you don't feel anything for God in your heart. I'm not saying you don't go to church, but you're not jealous for God. You're not jealous for God. God's kingdom does not really affect your heart. You have never become sad because of the state of the kingdom of God on the earth. You have, it, doesn't, it doesn't appeal to you. As long as there's money in your pocket, you, don't, you, you are happy. So, there's some prayers you can't pray. You can't call down fire. So, one last scripture. Uh, this is in First Peter 4, 7. This is to explain that prayer must be prepared from the heart first. Now, it says in the King James, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. 
Uh, however, in a couple of versions, it gives you the perspective that it's not talking about the action of prayer. It's talking about preparing for prayer. Everybody say prepare. prepare. Come on, I'll soon close. Everybody say prepare. prepare. I'll soon close. Give me a few seconds here. Now, let me read a few other versions. Now, now in the end, it says discipline in your prayers. That's not what I want. <laughs> But then it says in the NIV, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. And by so that you can pray, it's not talking about so you can pray. It's talking about so you can pray effectively. If you're not clear-minded, once again, your heart, I told you that, I showed you all of that in the first point of clear conscience. If you're not clear-minded, you won't be able to pray effectively. Now, another version, I saw the message, give me the message again. So take nothing for granted. Okay, stay wide awake in prayers. That's not my emphasis still. The God's Word version says, the end of everything is near, therefore practice self-control and keep your minds clear so that you can pray. Some of you approach prayer meetings and prayer time very disorderly. From morning to night, you are watching Instagram reels. All the people shaking bum bum, you are watching. All the celebrity gossips, you are hearing. Then your alarm ring. Banga, banga, time for prayer. Then I say, oh, You are not super-minded. You are not watching. I want to pray. You will pray, but it will be in vain. In vain. So you, if you want to be praying effectively, you must say, before the prayer time, what am I doing with my heart? What is entering my heart? So that when I begin to pray, it will be effective. Are you clear? Are you blessed? I know you go with the go. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. We'll sing one song. Just one song. Pierre, will you give me the song of the screen? Let's just sing that. Rain, Jesus, rain. Where's the volume? Jesus, give me the original lyrics first. Then you change data. King of Zion.
trust your word to capture our heart again. Bring us into the authenticity of the faith. And let everything we do going forward count positively. In Jesus' name we pray. Receive thank you. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.